Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Semra Hunter, an American who's the studio host for La Liga TV in Barcelona. We've had some great guests lately, including Lutz Fahnenstiel, Jack Harrison, and John Berman. I also encourage you to check out my podcast series, American Prodigy, The Freddie Adu Story. All eight episodes are out, and you can binge all of them to your heart's content. Now, here's my interview with Samra Hunter. Our guest now has had a fascinating journey in soccer media. Semra Hunter was born in the Los Angeles area and graduated from the University of California at Berkeley. These days, she lives in Barcelona, where she's the studio host for La Liga TV, a 24-7 channel, which airs all the games and shoulder programming from Spain's top flight in various countries around the world. You can see her on BN Sports in the U.S. with that. Samara, congratulations on everything you're doing. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much, and thanks for such a warm welcome. I'm so <laughs> pleased to be here with you, Grant. <laughs> it's great to have you. I've been wanting to get you on here for a while. Um, I totally want to get into your story and how you got to do what you're doing, which is really interesting. But for now, I am curious. Do you know if you're the only American working in the television broadcast media for soccer in one of the top five European leagues? Have you found anyone else? I have not, to be honest with you. As far as I can tell, I am the only American. I'm flying the American flag over here in Europe for us, okay? <laughs> Fantastic. I, I thought that might be the case, but I, I wanted to ask. And I, I'm wondering, could you explain to our listeners, you know, what is La Liga TV? Where is the studio located? You know, what do you do for them? Of course. So we're located in Barcelona. And I've been part of this project for the last, I guess, coming up almost on three years. It's about two and a half years. This is my third full season. And I am their main presenter. And basically, I've done a bit of everything. <laughs> so they brought me in as the weekend host. So to do all of the pre-match and all the post-match coverage. And the structure of La Liga is such that every single game has its own unique time slot. So a Friday night game, then there's four games usually on a Saturday, four on a Sunday, one on a Monday. And so we do a preview and a post for all of them. So my first season, I was doing a show on Thursdays, a show on Fridays, but the really important one was Saturday, Sunday. So I was in 12 hours a day. I was in at noon, I was out at midnight. And then I was in at noon again on Sunday and I was out at midnight. And uh, it was a blast. But by the end of the season, my brain was so fried <laughs> because I'd watched all of the games. I'd covered all of the games. And the other thing is I don't use a prompter. So everything I do is improvised. It's all prepared. It's all studied. And I watch the games and, and everything. But I don't actually use an autocue or anything like that. Mm. Um, so that was my first season. And the second season, I was more involved in also doing interviews. So I would travel around Spain. I'd go to all of the different clubs. Uh, there's 20 clubs, obviously, in the top flight. And I would do interviews um, with players. So I would do more extensive sit-downs between 30 to 45 minutes with them. We would do it in English. We would do it in Spanish. Sometimes they would take us on a tour of the facilities or they would show us a little bit about their life, how they're settling into the team if they're from abroad. 
um, which is one of my absolute favorite things to do. I love to talk to footballers and I love to get a more personal view as to what they're all about off the pitch as well as on it. Then this season, my role changed a little bit. So we have a flagship show that's called uh, Viva La Liga. It's from Monday to Fridays, and it's an hour and a half every day. Every day has a slightly different theme to it. Monday is a look back on the weekend. Tuesday is all about tactics. Wednesday is a debate show about several topics that we can go more in depth about. Thursday is a throwback to some archive footage or some historic teams or historic players, things from the past. And Friday is a look ahead to the weekend. So I'm in from Tuesday to Friday. I do those, those shows. I'm working 10 hours a day, more or less. Um, and we have a Friday night game, of course, too. So we look ahead to that <laughs> as well. And yeah, I mean, basically whatever La Liga needs from me, too. So hosting events, uh, hosting them in English or in Spanish. Um, it's been a blast. It's been a great fun. I, I think I probably gave too long of an answer there. No, you <laughs> to do To be a honest lot. with you. But we do, I do a lot, to be honest. I do a lot. So, but I, I love it. I absolutely love it. No, it's, it's your, your enthusiasm comes through. I mean, I, I'm curious to know, like, in terms of the people you've interviewed, you've done a lot of interviews, you said over time, who are some of the favorite interviews that you've done and why? My number one favorite of all time has to be Xavi Hernandez. So that actually came in from my previous job and I was really, really fortunate. There's a backstory to this. Um, so I grew up playing soccer. I started playing as well. No, of course, it's, it's our sport in the US, isn't it? So I started when I was about three years old. I grew up watching the Premier League. I grew up watching all of the World Cups. I went to the Women's World Cup final when it was in LA. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I moved to Barcelona, I, it, it was my foray into Spanish football because before that I didn't have any access to it. I hadn't seen it. I wasn't very familiar with it. And... Um, so I was introduced to Barcelona. This was 2007. This was the last year of Reichardt. This is just before Guardiola. This was Messi on the cusp of breaking into the first team and becoming who he was, as well as Xavi Hernandez. And because I was a central midfielder, I had an affinity to watching him. And I just thought he was sensational. And he became my favorite player. So I used to make the joke when I first started out my career that if I ever had the chance to interview Xavi, then I could just retire, call it a day, I would never do anything better. And I had the absolute privilege of interviewing him three times. And I also got to play football with him twice. So wow. it was better than I ever could have imagined. It was incredible. We went to Qatar, to Doha, to do a special, a five-year special in the lead up to the World Cup. Mm -hmm. And as you know, he's one of the ambassadors. And so we had a chance to really um, talk to him quite yeah. a few times and spend some time with him. And so it was just, it was fantastic. It was like a dream come true. So definitely Tabby. <laughs> you know, what's interesting is, is that I only interviewed him once, but it's one of my all, all time top five interviews. Really? Just, yeah, just really, uh, insightful, thoughtful, um, and clearly cares about the the sport talked you know with a lot of conviction about the soul of the style of football that Barcelona in Spain played with which was really cool. oh yes and he's football mad and he's such a football mind and an intelligence as well too there that makes him 
I can imagine such a it's such a fascinating person to talk to, depending on whatever the topics are that you would cover in a conversation. But no surprise, he's in your top five. <laughs> <laughs> So we've had my friend Guillaume Balaguet on this podcast before. Uh, I've known Guillaume for years. Um, you know, he's one of the people you work with in the studio at La Liga TV. Who are some of the others? So Guillaume, yeah, I have a very close working relationship with him. I see him several times a week. Um, and apart from that, we've got Graham Hunter. I think he's another friend of yeah. yours as well, too. Yeah. And funny enough, everybody thinks that we're related. <laughs> so they either think that he's my husband or I'm his daughter or I'm his sister, <laughs> some form of relative. I'm like, guys, he's Scottish. I'm American. Plus, we don't look anything alike. We don't sound anything alike. Where, where are you coming up? Just because we have the same last name, it confuses a lot of people. But it certainly gives us a lot of laughs. We always have a good time with that one. Um, Albert Ferre or Chapi Ferre as he's more known for, for Chelsea fans and part of the Dream Team Barcelona uh, mm. Lauren Bissan obviously an Invincible and Arsenal Legends mm. there's Andre Orlandi who's just joined the team this season he's a brilliant brilliant pundit by the way absolutely fantastic Terry Gibson is another one who's just lovely one of my favourite people of all time and he's an incredible incredible analyst Really, really knows his football, obviously, Spanish football in particular. Um, who else? We've got loads of people. There's Sid Lowe. I'm sure you know mm -hmm. Sid Lowe quite well. Kike yeah. um, De Lucas is another one. Gus Poyet comes on sometimes as well when he's not busy being a manager. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's plenty of people. It's great. Yeah. And they're all really fantastic people, I can say. Honestly, I am so fortunate. I'm so lucky. I work with some of the greatest people in the business that I've ever met. So it makes my life a lot easier, that's for sure. Awesome. Every country in Europe has a soccer culture that has a special flavor to it. What have you found that makes Spanish soccer culture special in your mind? I think it has a very rich history. And there's so many clubs with such an interesting past to them. A lot of them actually have links with England and English football because back in the early 1900s, a lot of English people came over to Spain and they set up football clubs. So there's a lot of links in terms of the colors or even the name. Um, so I find that always quite interesting. But apart from that, I think every region within Spain, if you haven't been here before, every region is like a small little world. It's completely different. There's different languages, there's different traditions, cultures, foods, you name it. And so every club has its own unique identity that in some way reflects the local culture uh, and the local identity. You know, Barcelona obviously very strongly linked to, to, to Catalonia and the Catalan identity. Madrid is Madrid. <laughs> Valencia has their own. Um, um, yeah, my identity, we could say again, Sevilla as well, with Rabetes and Sevilla. The North, the Basque Country is a totally different world. Uh, Galicia. So everywhere you go, it's just, there's so much to learn about each club and each place that it's, it's just really unique to me. I, I'm not quite sure that it's really like that in other, in other parts of Europe. Yeah, no, that's it's really interesting. I, I had an interview several years ago with Jose Mourinho when he was still at Real Madrid. Oh, great. And asked him to compare and contrast some of the 
the media cultures in different countries he had worked in, and he'd worked in several by that time. And one thing he said about Spain was that there was a big radio culture, that there's there these is. like late night interviews with like really prominent figures on the radio in Spain that he didn't experience as much in other countries. Is that still the case? Oh, definitely. Radio is king. It's massive over here. I had an ex-boyfriend who was from Barcelona and he used to fall asleep every single night with the headphones in his ears listening to the, to the radio, talking about football. Every <laughs> single night. I mean, there is the culture in Spain, of course, to be up until 2 a.m. and we have dinner right. at 10 o'clock and everything goes much later over here. <laughs> and the games sometimes finish at around midnight or 10 o'clock. So there usually is this tradition of having about an hour or even two hours of a talk show on the radio, on television, whatever, what have you, where they just talk about football nonstop. And what always makes me laugh too is a lot of people will put on the TV, but they'll turn off the audio and they'll put on the radio instead. Because <laughs> they just prefer it. Yeah. It's great. Even you go to the football matches, you go to the company, you go to the, the Benabeo or wherever. And the same yeah. thing, people have their phones out and they're listening to the radio while they're watching the game <laughs> and they're physically there. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I don't know if other, in other countries they do that, but I think it's, I love it. It's great. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember what Mourinho said about other countries. He said Italy, they were just, just obsessed with tactics. There's like pages and pages oh. in, uh, in the newspapers about tactics um, and he said in England, um, there was just more prying into sort of like from the tabloids into your personal life, <laughs> but like the radio <laughs> stood out to him about Spain, which was interesting, I thought. That is um, interesting. But this particular La Liga season, what has stood out to you about the season so far? Oh, there's a couple of things. Um, the one obvious one is that the pandemic has really shaped the course of this season um, and good and bad ways. It's definitely atypical. There's no question about that. It's a much more condensed schedule. So teams are playing every couple of days. Games are coming thick and fast. They hardly have time to train, to rest, to recuperate. Even Zidane last night, um, after the game of Getafe, he had to change the system because he had eight players out through injury and a suspended player. So he had only 13 available players from the first team. And for the first time ever, he changed the system to play three at the back. And after the game, he said, we didn't even have time to practice it. So I just said, okay, guys, here's the game plan. Go out there and just do the best that you possibly can. Wow. And that is such sort of a common theme of what's happening in La Liga this season, even though you have five substitutions and even within a game, you can have several little games because a lot of the times the managers are making tweaks and they're changing the formation as they go along or the system as they go along. Um, but it also has allowed for smaller clubs to beat bigger clubs. Cadiz, right. they beat Barcelona. Um, they also beat, I think, Real Madrid it was, and away, which was even more impressive. That's the other thing, the home and away factor, without the fans, it, it, it's not really an advantage anymore to have to play on your home turf because it, it, there's no atmosphere, there's nothing there. Um, that's another aspect that we really, really miss, the fans. 
seeing the empty stadiums is just so sad. It doesn't quite feel right. We've become used to it, but we obviously want them to come back as soon as possible. But it has changed, I think, a little bit um, some of the results. Uh, We've seen a lot more high-scoring games. Um, Defence in times has kind of fallen by the wayside. (laughs) But I think because the fans aren't there to put on pressure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And... So it's been much more open in some ways. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that Atletico Madrid has completely blown everybody's expectations. Right. Um, they've been very, very good this season. They've been so solid. They've been brilliant in attack. Luis Suarez has obviously blown everybody away. I don't think everybody... So many people said he was over the hill and done when he left Barcelona, but he obviously still had plenty to prove. But I don't think anybody expected it would be this good. Right. Um, and with Oblak between the sticks, they're incredibly solid at the back. And obviously, they're known for being defensively very good too. So even if they don't play their best football, they're still able to win games. They're a machine. And so for me, in a slightly disappointing way, I don't feel like there's as much of a title race as normal. Um, because teams like Barcelona, Madrid, I mean, Barcelona's a whole another story for another day. But there's been a lot of injuries, a lot of players who have tested uh, positive with COVID who aren't able to be there, managers who have tested positive. Um, so there's all sorts of chops and changes going on all the time. So, like I said, weirdly, it hasn't affected Atletico Madrid all that much. And it's actually nice to see perhaps somebody else winning the league title. And I think it's great and they certainly deserve it. Um but for me, the little letdown is that I don't think there's as much of a title race as we're nor- normally used to seeing. Um, but it's been it's been a very strange season <laughs> overall. Yeah. Now I think everyone's looking forward to getting on the other side of the pandemic. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, now you mentioned working in Spanish. How often do you do that? What's it like? And is it is it any how? In what ways is it different from working in English? Um, I don't do it now as much as I used to. When I was at Real Madrid TV, I used to do it um, basically every week because I was presenting a show in English and in Spanish. And it was a weekly show. And sometimes the Spanish service would also have me do some pitch sides or pitch side reporting in Spanish if they needed to. um, Or to do any other kind of reporting that they might put into their programs. So I was doing it on a lot more regular basis back then. Now, because we're exclusively in English, mm-hmm. I don't do it as much. I do it, however, for La Liga when it comes to other events. So, for example, back in October, there was the La Liga Ambassadors Gala, where they have one every season or every year, sorry, and they bring in either former ambassadors or they introduce new ones. These are, of course, legends of the game of Spanish football and that was in Spanish so they had me present the entire gala in Spanish which was a really nice challenge (laughs) a little bit nerve-wracking to be completely honest with you as it's not my first language but it was an amazing experience and then there was another event where uh, we're doing these virtual press tours so we're connecting with media all around the globe And we're doing these programs in English and in Spanish, and we're trying to teach media about Spain and about the different regions and about the cultures, kind of like what you were asking me about earlier. 
So we'll connect to different regions, to different clubs, and there'll be reporters who'll be talking to players or whatever, and they'll do a little bit of questions, a Q&A about their season or the club or, or their experiences in La Liga. And um, so in that scenario, then I'll be in the studio and I'll be doing everything in, in Spanish and then later on in English. Um, so, so far, those are the two big things that I've done recently. But normally nowadays, I'm just doing things in English. <laughs> Let's take a quick break from our interview with Semra Hunter. And I'll ask you a question. Do you ever want to watch Spain's La Liga and get frustrated because it's not available on your cable or satellite system? You should try a streaming service I use that I love. It's called Fanatis with a Z, and you can watch all the action from La Liga and other international leagues and tournaments live and on demand from your favorite device, whether it's a mobile phone, tablet, or directly on your TV with the Fanatis app. You can also watch the top leagues from France, Turkey, Brazil, and Argentina. Fanatis features channels you know, like BN Sports in English and Spanish, Gold TV, and many more. And it costs as little as $7.99 a month. If you'd like to try Fanatis for yourself, you can get a free week-long trial by clicking on the link in the episode description or by going to fntz.co slash grant hyphen fz. One more time, that's fntz.co slash grant hyphen fz. Thank you very much to Fanatis for sponsoring this episode. Fanatis, the world's largest stadium. So let's get into your story. You mentioned a little bit about okay. it. You were born in the Los Angeles area, Santa Monica. Uh, you mentioned going to the, the 99. I assume it was the 99 when yeah, the Yeah, it was the 99, exactly. At the Rose um, Bowl. <laughs> nice. I was there. Um, that was a, an amazing thing. Like, what do you remember from that? I remember getting dressed up. My face was painted. I was, God, I was really young. I was like maybe 11, I think, at the time. Mm -hmm. Um and I was, I was wearing this white tank top that had the World Cup logo on it. And it was my favorite shirt. I used to wear it like every day to school. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. And I remember actually getting interviewed by a reporter on the way into the stadium. And I don't remember what the questions are, what we talked about. But I remember mm. I was so excited because we're going to be on TV talking about the Women's World Cup final. <laughs> and I remember it was an extremely hot day. And just baking under the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we went all the way into penalties. So <laughs> it was a really long game, but I had so much fun. I was there with my parents. They took me, they knew how much I love football. And for a while, actually, when I was young, my dad would be my soccer coach. Okay. And um, I went with some friends. We took some friends. And I just remember the most iconic moments of Brandy Chastain afterwards, just running over to the side, like ripping off that shirt, that famous black sports bra running around with the white shorts. It was just such an epic moment that was just etched into my mind forever when they won that. It was, it was astonishing. It was astonishing. It was great. And just the, the stadium completely filled to the rafters as well too. There was not an empty seat, I don't think, anywhere. Yeah. That was huge. I mean, it was like 90,000 seats or something like that, 100,000. It's a huge stadium, too. Yeah, really incredible. I mean, I just remember covering that, and like that went from an event that 
didn't get that much attention at the very start of it to becoming literally the cultural event of the summer in the United States. I mean, it was on, you know, it, it got on the cover for Sports Illustrated, but it also got on the cover of like Time Magazine and, and all these news magazines. And it's had, it's been fun for me over the years to talk to people who were there and who it impacted. And, and clearly you were into, you were into soccer. So like, how did that go in the years after that? Were you, were you a player? Were you like, like, did you do other sports? I, it was my dream to be a professional soccer player. That was what I really, really wanted. And that was what I worked towards for years. Um, and so I, I played club level. Mm -hmm. I played also for, for high school and, and stuff like that. But I had, um, I also had personal trainers on the side that were from the UK. Mm -hmm. um, because obviously they were the experts. <laughs> and I just remember we would sit down together, we would watch Premier League games and we would analyze them and they would try to teach me about, you know, the geometry of the game. So where to make the pass, how to make the pass, how to play off the wall or do a one-two or uh, to look for the spaces or how to create spaces. Because I, I'm a fairly cerebral person. I really like, I, I, I enjoy finding the geometry in the game and I love to be the playmaker and I love to set it to, be sort of the, the creative person, let's say, in the middle, or at least I did mm -hmm. when I was playing, not anymore. Um, <laughs> but I like to run the show. And uh, unfortunately, I had a really bad injury when I was about 16 that pretty much destroyed my chances of ever actually taking it any further. Oh, wow. um, but yeah, I also played a lot of other sports when I was really little. Um, for a few years but then my other main sport was volleyball actually I played volleyball for a really really long time and I had more success in terms of winning things with volleyball than I did with soccer but oh. soccer's always been my one true love <laughs> okay interesting so you're at Berkeley and went to school there did you overlap at all with Alex Morgan oh good question you know what I'm not sure I may have I was there 2005 to 2009 if you happen to know what year she was there I think she, you might have had one, one year, maybe one or two, yeah, I think. Yeah, maybe one. Okay. Because it, it does ring a bell. Now that you mention it, it does vaguely ring a bell. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's just sort of an interesting coincidence. I, and also, too, I, in writing a story about Alex Morgan a few years ago, like she spent time in Spain through a, a program at Berkeley. Did, how did you get connected to Spain in the first place? When I was... I think I was about 12 or something like that. My parents and I came to Spain on holiday. We did Spain and Portugal. And I always knew from a really, really young age that I wanted to live in Europe. That was mm -hmm. another, another dream that I had because my two passions in life were sport and travel. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know where I wanted to live, but I knew I wanted to live in Europe. And actually my mom from a really young age spoke to me in Spanish. She's not Spanish. She just really liked languages and she could speak um, French, Portuguese, Italian, Spanish. She lived in Colombia, Mexico for a while. And she felt that it was really important for me to learn something other than just English. Mm -hmm. So I think she, she sowed the seeds from a really young age that the country was going to be Spain. <laughs> Cause she's like, don't go to South America. If you're going to go to Europe, then, you know, fine, but go to Spain. So when we came here on a trip of all the cities that we visited, I fell in love with Barcelona. 
And it kind of reminded me of home because I had the beach, the weather was nice, it's a beautiful city. Uh, so I said, okay, when I'm older, I'm coming back here. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> I decided <laughs> going to Barcelona when I was, yeah, about 12. <laughs> and I guess I'm wondering how it worked for you to get into sports media. How did that process go? Did you just decide one day, I want to do this? Uh, how did it progress? So when my dream of becoming a professional soccer player was dead and buried, I had to move on and find something else. So at Berkeley, I studied peace and conflicts because it's a, well, it's a very Berkeley-esque way of saying international relations. Mm. Um, and because I, again, had this romantic vision of working in an embassy or a consulate and traveling the world oh. and being part of the foreign service. But after four years, I realized how much I hated politics. So that was over. Um, so then I moved. I, I did my junior year abroad in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that I was going to move back when I finished my studies. So after Barcelona, I came home, finished, graduated from Berkeley, and I, I moved straight back. Uh, to be honest with you, for a few years, I was, I was quite lost. I really didn't know what to do because it was like... The two, you know, my, my one big dream of soccer was gone. I didn't like what I studied at Berkeley. I didn't know what to do next. My mom was pushing me to do a master's in business, international business, whatever. I was like, oh, it doesn't sound very fun. I don't want to do that. Um, so I ended up teaching English for a couple of years while I was sorting things out. I lived in Granada for a year. Um, and it wasn't until one day when my parents are huge. They're avid sports fans. And they also really love the NFL in particular. And so my mom said, oh, you know, you would be a great sideline reporter. It's sports, it's travel, it's a perfect, it's a perfect union of what you love. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't think of that. It was, it was one of those light bulb moments. And so I immediately started looking for master's programs in Europe because I didn't have a journalism background. And I found one in Madrid. And... Turns out it was in Spanish, which I didn't know at the time that I had applied because all of the website, everything was in English. So I thought, and a lot of master's programs in Europe, because so many people come from all over the world, they're in English. So I had this naive idea that it was going to be in English. But honestly, it was the best thing that could have happened because my Spanish improved massively because it it was the only language that I was using all day long, every day. And we studied print, journalism, radio, TV, all of it. And... So my foray into the sports media world was one day during a trip to a production company, a huge production company, which is actually the one that I now work for, MediaPro. They gave us a tour and afterwards I stopped to talk to one of the bosses and I just said, hey, this is my situation. I'm American, native and English, but I really want to stay. I want to work in football. This is my sport. Do you think there's a future for me here? Because... I had a student visa. I didn't have any other way of staying in the country once my studies were over. So we got to talking for a while. He said, send me your CV. I'll see what I can do. Two weeks later, he said, there's uh, a position as an intern with Al Jazeera Sport if you want it. I was like, yes, definitely. I definitely want it. So that was how I got in. I, I guess a little bit of luck, but also maybe making my own luck in some ways and just putting myself forward. And that quickly took off because... That was around the same time that being sports uh, 
came to be in the US and started in the US. And so within a couple of months, they threw me into my first pit side situation. I'd never been on television before, straight into the deep end. It was one of the most terrifying things I've ever done in my life. It was at the Vicente Calderon. It was Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, a huge game. I had zero idea as to what they were going to ask me about. It was, they were so cavalier about the whole thing. Like, oh, you'll be fine. It's not a big deal. I was like, but this is alive. I've never done this before. Like, I'm panicking. And they told me, by the way, the day before. And Oof. I studied like I've never studied in my life. I think I read all of the newspapers back to front. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be so on point about whatever they ask me. Yeah, it was it was interesting, <laughs> but <laughs> it was it was good enough because that actually got me into Real Madrid TV a couple of months later because they had heard about me. They rang me up, and yeah, so one thing kind of led to another. <laughs> it's really interesting. Real Madrid TV has has been a launch pad for a bunch mm. of people like Kay Murray, Allison Bender, Dan Thomas, uh, Resman Choudhury, Rhiannon Jones. You, one hundred percent. I'm probably forgetting someone. What's ha- what's going on there that has been? It's been such a kind of talent incubator. That's such a good way to put it because it really is. It, it, we used to call it the trampoline because it would just you bounce on it and you it would launch you off to somewhere else, bigger and better. And everybody that you've mentioned has had so much success. It's unbelievable. They're obviously all very talented, and I think you have to have that to some degree to, to be able to build something out of a career, but it's, it's amazing. I think part of it is that it was, it was such a unique place because, I mean, I've never experienced working in the US or in the UK, so I don't really know, but I don't think those kinds of places really exist um we were in a foreign country and it was a really small group of people and because we were such a small group of people we had to be like a jack of all trades you had to be versatile you had to do a bit of everything it was the best training i ever could have got because i did everything i mean writing producing uh reporting editing doing my own videos doing my own pieces um, presenting everything with the exception of using a camera, basically, of just filming myself. Um, so the growth that you get there, I mean, it's, it's really exponential because mm-hmm. you have to do so much. And so you have to learn quickly. You have to be a quick study. And so I think you take off a lot quicker there than you do. You know, I hear stories of people working in production for six years before they even get a chance to to go on television as a, as a reporter, for example, or just to even start and work their way up the chain. Here, I think you just do it so much faster. I mean, I my first year, I was, there were three of us that were on screen. So Rhiannon, you mentioned her, she was like the main presenter at the time. Uh, there was Phil Kitchamalides, who was also there. Yeah. So there, okay, so you know Phil. Yeah. Um, and they were like the two main presenters at the time. They were a lot more senior, had a lot more experience. I was super green. And so my first season or my first year was basically going to the training sessions every day, going to Valdebebas, doing reports, all that kind of stuff. But within a year, I had my own studio show, which is, I think, almost unthinkable for 
most of us in the media world. And again, it was in English and it was in Spanish. It was a pre-recorded program. It wasn't done live or anything like that, but still it was a huge stepping stone. And then a year after that, I had my own studio program where I was doing similar to what I'm doing now, which was being a host of a live, unscripted, televised program with two or three guests. And so it's almost like sink or swim in a way. You just have to get through it. And I think everybody was really dedicated and they saw it as a really good opportunity for them to expand on their skills and abilities. And they knew that it would take them somewhere else. And so I think that was also a motivating factor for a lot of people. It's interesting to me, yeah, we, we view Real Madrid, the club, as the ultimate destination for a player. <laughs> and yet Real Madrid TV is kind of like the Dortmund, like everyone goes on from there to somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, it's like, it's like an <laughs> academy for, for media people. You're totally right. <laughs> but uh, you went to Turkey, which is not mm. the most obvious destination to go from there. <laughs> like, what was the story? So... Um, my, I have Turkish roots. Okay. Uh, that was one part. Not, not that it was connected or anything like that, but it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, my, my grandfather is there twice once or twice a year. I have a lot of other extended family. It, it was like a, like a plus, let's say, a bonus to, oh, I can spend more time with him on a personal level. The, so because of that, because people knew that I had this link to, to Turkey, um, a lot of people suggested it to me. They said, oh, there's this new channel opening up that's called TRT World. Um, they're looking for people. You would be a perfect fit because, you know, you're Turkish. I was like, oh, okay, kind of, I guess, but sure, why not? So I looked into it and I ended up getting offered the job. And the job was as a sports correspondent and presenter. Mm-hmm. So it was like two jobs in one. And that's where I think things really took off for me in terms of personal growth. Because with Real Madrid TV, it's great until a point, but there's a ceiling and there's only so much you can do. And it's not pure journalism, let's say, because it is a club channel. So in a lot of ways, it's more PR than it is anything else. So this was my chance to get into real international broadcast journalism, to be a journalist. Um, And... Yeah, so I mean, basically, they liked what they saw, I guess, and they brought me on board, and I got to be part of a brand new sports team that they just put together. We created a program, and so whenever I was in Istanbul, which is where I was based, I was in the studio, and so Mm -hmm. I was hosting a half-hour daily news program about whatever and whatever, and it wasn't just about Turkish sports, actually. It was mostly all of the big ones around the world. And my specialty, my area specialty was European football. Mm-hmm. So I was doing Champions League, Spanish football, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, otherwise I would be on a plane constantly, going anywhere and everywhere and covering big events. And it was just a blast. I mean, it was... Yeah, one of the two that two of the best years I think in my life in terms of professional professional opportunities and travel and growth and sports. <laughs> yeah, so you, you come back to Spain, start with La Liga TV as they're getting going. Um, we do have a lot of students who listen to this show. What sort of advice or suggestions would you have for anyone who wants to do the kind of thing you're doing for a living? 
I think the most important thing is to just start whatever it is when you want to do, just, just start. So if you want to be a writer, then start writing blogs. If you want to be in radio, maybe start your own podcast. If you want to be on television, maybe do a YouTube uh, channel, that sort of thing. I think it's really important to have passion. You have to really love what you do because it's really true. If you love what you do, you don't work a day in your life or whatever the expression is. Um, and so I think you need to have the passion there because it's not a linear path and everybody has a different unique path unto themselves. And there's definitely going to be moments of difficulty, of obstacles, where you're going to feel down and out, where you're going to want to quit, where you're going to want to give up because you don't feel like you're progressing, but in truth, you actually are. There is something to be learned from all of the experiences, whether they're good or bad. Um, and persistence. I think you need to keep going no matter what, because those who eventually get there are those who are not going to quit when the going gets tough. I mean, my dad has always drilled into me over the years. He says like the three Ps, passion, purpose, and persistence. You need to have the passion. You need to have the purpose, which is the aim, the objective that you want to work towards and the persistence. You just have to keep going and going and going. And I think he's right. I mean, I used to ignore him because I was like, oh, dad, come on, you know, when I was younger. But honestly, now, now that I'm older and more mature and I can really understand and appreciate what he told me, it's actually really, really true. And yeah. so I think that's just one of the core things is definitely keep going because you will get there eventually. We are winding down with Semra Hunter. Really appreciate you taking this much time. A uh, couple more quick ones. Uh, with the virus happening, when was the last time you were able to visit the United States? December 2019. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. My thoughts exactly. <laughs> it's been a really long time. It's the longest I've gone without seeing my parents. It's been really hard. It's been really, really hard. Are they still out in California? They actually moved to Florida a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. um, they, California was getting crazy expensive and I think they just wanted to change. And they thought they would be closer to Spain, which they're not because of obviously <laughs> the shape of the globe. So it actually takes me now longer to go see them than it did before. Uh, ironically. Um, but yeah, no, so yeah. They're, they're based in Florida now. I do hope you get a chance to get back at some point here because that's a long time to go without seeing your family. Um, yeah. And lastly, what do you want to do in your future? Oh, good question. There's two things. There's two, I would say, there's two things that I really, really want to do. One is to host a major event, like a Ballon d'Or kind of event, or you know, I guess, well, now Ballon d'Or, it's gone back to, to France football and they do it in French, so better start learning French. <laughs> Um, or maybe like a FIFA festivals or something really yeah. the Champions League, something like that. I just think it looks so cool, so fun. And obviously you mentioned like a Kay Murray or a Kate Abdo. These are just women that I admire so much and respect so much for me to feel like, wow, I've achieved something that they've achieved would be, it would be tremendous. And I'd be really, really proud to do something like that. The other thing is a World Cup. I need to host coverage for a World Cup. It is my absolute dream. It is my dream to go to a World Cup and, yeah, host coverage for it. It would just, oh, 
I've got to do it at some point. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. You're on the path. Oh, Semra Hunter dang. is the studio host for La Liga TV, 24-7 channel, which airs all the games and shoulder programming from Spain's top flight in various countries around the world. You can catch her on Being Sports here in the United States. Semra, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Anytime. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Semra Hunter as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.